You're listening to the Deep Purple Podcast, a fan podcast about one of the most legendary bands of all time, Deep Purple. We take a look at the music, history, and people behind the band Deep Purple and beyond. Welcome to the Deep Purple Podcast, the first and only podcast devoted to one of the greatest bands in rock history, Deep Purple. Today's episode is episode number 197, Richie Blackmore's Rainbow, Stranger in Us All, Part 2. And coming to you from the back-breaking suburbs of Chicago, I'm your host, Nathan Beaudry. And coming to you from the suburbs of Providence, I'm your co-host, John the Bull Matola. <laughs> How do you follow that? <laughs> With questions. <laughs> and, and coming from the oddly horizontal clouds of Las Vegas, I am your co-host, Scott Haskin. Horizontal clouds. Very good. Yeah, it, it, it's just like this wall of clouds where the air pressure is is keeping the top of it at an almost perfectly horizontal line. It's really bizarre. Hmm. Interesting. I at least it's not raining because we all know what happened last week yes. where the whole city just stopped working <laughs> because the water fell from the sky. Oh, my God. It's pouring here, but it's usually it's bus- it's it's an unseasonably warm day with very rainy here in January and in the Chicago suburbs. Pouring rain, but... Um, uh, has not shut the city down that I'm aware of, even though I haven't left Thank the house. Thank God. But um, so John, what's the what's the bowl? What's that? What's that mean? All right, so going going on my uh, well, let's see how long this streak lasts of uh, <laughs> funny Amazon reviews. So, oh no! <laughs> so I bought this thing recently, which um, I didn't know existed, but it's a um, you know those um, those little. Uh, uh, what do you call them? Like the, the lighters that you use to light a candle and they have the, they're filled with the, uh, uh, whatever you call it. Oh, like the, like the little, yeah, it's like filled with the, 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 like the gasoline, the liquid, yeah. gasoline yeah. not gasoline. <laughs> butane, <laughs> lighter, I think. Lighter fluid, butane, there we yeah, go. Lighter yeah, lighter fluid, butane, whatever. And um, so there's, um, so I went looking for a new one because, you know, I could pick up one literally anywhere, but why not Amazon? Because why leave the house? And um, <laughs> I saw that there are these rechargeable ones that um, they, I guess they, you know, you, you turn it on, you, you know, you plug it in with the USB and it looks just like the traditional ones, but it creates kind of like an electrical charge or a spark. Yep. And so it doesn't, it, it basically, it runs on electricity. So it never runs out of fluid or anything like that. And it basically you use it forever as, you know, you just have to plug it in and recharge it. And uh, so, yeah, I bought one. It was pretty cool. Um, figured like, um, you know, good, uh, good new purchase there. So of course I'm reading some of the reviews and, um, you know, they have in, uh, Amazon, they have the reviews and then they have the questions. Oh, I love the questions. So uh question on this one is, can you use this to smoke a bowl? <laughs> <laughs> and so the answer was, I, I use mine to light a beeswax wick and then use the wick to light my bowls. <laughs> Inventive. That's right. So very, very practical advice there from uh, B.D. McGee. B.D. McGee. Some of the questions are, that's actually a really good untapped resource is those questions. Some of them are so ridiculous. Uh, And Mm. do you ever get um, like emails? I don't know if they send them anymore, but they used to send you an email like, there's a question about an item that you bought. Do you want to answer it? Yeah, Uh, Yeah, if you... Yeah, if they if somebody asked a new question about that item, I get one occasionally, but it's 
I don't know. It's never anything where I would <laughs> could provide a great answer like that. The um the, the the phrase "there's no such thing as a stupid question" was invented before the Amazon questions thing rolled out because you see some real doozies in there. Yeah. I think that 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 statement was invented by somebody who just asked habitually stupid questions. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, don't don't worry, Pretty don't much. worry. There's no such thing as a dumb one. But usually the questions there are like it's like a glass, and they're like, "Well, does this glass work for lemonade?" It's like, yes. It's, <laughs> it's usually the dumbest question you could possibly imagine. But can I hey. load a spreadsheet onto this laptop? <laughs> exactly. Does the, does this computer uh, access uh, websites? But I was doing. Well, I was showing my son how to do the yeah. exercise where you you know you, you put your back against the wall and then you sit like you're like like there's an invisible chair there like to stretch yeah. your like legs and everything. So he's doing some physical therapy. So he was doing a really bad job of it. He was basically leaning against the wall. I was like, no, 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 no. You got to get your <laughs> butt way down there. Pretend like there's a chair there, right angle. So I show him. I decide to show him, and he's like, oh, a chair, and he leaps onto me and. Whatever he did, he did some serious damage to my back and leg, like this shooting pain, like through my back and my leg. Um, That's great. You know, it's a hard enough exercise to do with when there's not a ten-year-old leaping onto you. Uh, oh my goodness. So. I'm going to try to try to muscle through this episode. OK, but hey, folks, if you want to support our show, um, I've got a new support our show link in the show notes, which will bring you to our website, which has a number of ways to support the show. The first one, of course, is being leaving us a five star review on Apple Podcasts. Second is to buy some merch at our Etsy store. I did it. I extended the thing. I, I they said you have like 24 hours left. So I was like, fine. Uh, I put boo. in my bank. And so the store is still <laughs> open, folks. Sorry. Maybe and maybe there'll be some new merch on the way. Who knows? Um, you can uh, become a patron on Patreon or on PayPal for as little as $1 a month. Help support the show. Pick whatever tier you want. Create your own tier and get a shout out weekly on the show. And you can also use uh, Cash App at dollar sign DPPOD uh, to send us like a one one off thing. Or I think you can even do a reoccurring payment there if you want. So check that out. And uh, if you want to send us a one off, you'll get, you know, the monthly credit for four episodes. If you send us a recurring, you'll get mentioned on every episode for as long as you want. Um, speaking of patrons uh, coming in at the executive level at the $25 Uncommon Man tier, we have Ovis Nakfi and Purple Maniac. At the £10 tier, Dr. Jill Brees. At the Turn It Up to $11 tier, Clay Wambacher, Frank Tealgard Mortensen, Alan Ain't Too Proud to Bag, and Mikkel Steen. And at the $10 Someone Came tier, Ryan M., Jeff Bryce, Victor Campos, and Better Call Saul Evans. Thank you so much to all of you for your generous support of the Deep Purple Podcast. And um, speaking of supporting the show... Oh, that was, I gotta give it a more of a, that's right. Did you hear it? I, I heard like no, a minimal uh, burp. Oh, here we go. I think that, yeah. Here we go. There we go. Right. It defaulted to turning that new setting off. It just defaults <laughs> off. This is really annoying. But, um, yeah, we have a new, um, a new Apple podcast review, but not a new name. Um, this review comes to us from <coughs> Blackmore Tights. And um, this one is from, of course, the UK. Uh, five stars from Blackmore Tights. Um, the title is Old Friends Chatting About the Greatest Band in the World. Found this podcast while wondering if there was a Deep Purple podcast. Turns out there is, and it's called the Deep Purple Podcast. How did it take so long to find this? 
It's taking me nearly a year and a half to almost get up to date, only 20 behind now. It's so addictive. I feel like I'm eavesdropping on two old friends who just so happen to like all the same music I do. The only thing is, they can't see me and they can't hear me tutting loudly at some of the opinions they have. Saints and Sinners is Whitesnake's worst ranked album, Tut, Tut, and Tut. They claim not to be listening through all the shows. They are slowly becoming experts. Uh, oh, they claim not to be, but listening through all the shows, they are slowly becoming experts. Look forward to listening to many more episodes to come and learning new things about the band I thought I knew everything about. Grab the Flexitone and enjoy the well-deserved five stars. Signed. Blackmore Tights. So uh, here we go. Uh, getting it out. By request, the sound of the flexitone. Uh, He's pulling them all out today. Thank you so much. Well, not all of them, not yet, because um, <laughs> uh, very, very appreciative of, of Blackmore Tights coming in with the uh, with the um, with the review. But uh, I did tease this on a recent episode. But I got a new percussion instrument, and since we got this review, uh, Blackmore Tights is going to get something a little extra. <laughs> <laughs> Nice. <laughs> and I've, I've already mastered it, as you can tell. Um, I feel like so. I'm down south already. <laughs> yeah, I can't figure out how to make, make like hits against the metal. I don't know if I just got a bum, a bum harp or what, but thank you. To, well, I'm slowly being surrounded did your, by Did your whole set of teeth just vibrate <laughs> it uncontrollably? Really, well, if you do it wrong, that little, that little striker like hits you in the teeth. It's not a pleasant Ugh. feeling. Oof. You know, uh, th this could be a new thing that you could add to your arsenal and uh, you guys can review it on, on Amazon, but they have uh, USB kazoos now. <laughs> Why do you need a USB connection? <laughs> well, like it records so you could, it into so the So you computer? can record it. Oh, wow. Mm -hmm. So it's got like a little microphone on it. Right. It's so like mm -hmm. for tracking. But uh, yeah, mm -hmm. that's that's something you could add to your arsenal, I think, quite nicely. <laughs> I, could. I feel like I should just use a regular kazoo. Like I've got a I've got a really nice microphone here. I <laughs> should plug it in into my computer. I need a MIDI kazoo. <laughs> that's what I need. <laughs> oh, man. But yes, um, thank you so much for that great um, that great uh, shout out and call out. We really appreciate that. And of course, there's a uh, before we get into the meat of the episode, just one more thing. That's right, folks. Postcards from the edge of Connecticut. Um, we've got a new one in here. Um, this one comes to us. This postcard is uh, 70s oh. Weekly Countdown with Mark and Pete postcard. Look at that. Love it. Um, came to us just the other day. Uh, it says, Nate, thank you for your audio help during our recording of episode 36. Uh, might not have solved our issue, but it was good to see you on your one day off in the in the last month <laughs> pete and mark um well i've been off a few more days than that but appreciate the uh the offer yeah they were having some audio issues and in fact it's i think it's related to the same issue that we're having with the stupid uh original sound for musicians on and off so hopefully we'll fix that for a coming episode for them because um as as you know that you know they get into the swing they're they're learning what we've all learned uh, earlier which is you get everything set up to record and you're going along strong for like six months then all of a sudden you've touched nothing and then it's stops working so but that's once you hit that you you know you're officially a podcaster um, it, it has happened more times than i care to uh than i care to admit in the 600 plus shows that i've done mm -hmm. and uh we actually just had it happen on the uh backtracks aerosmith show um lots of fun 
Yeah, always it's yeah, always learning something uh something new or being annoyed by something. So, um so yeah, we'll we'll, we'll talk more about it in the, uh, at the at the end of the show. Give uh, Scott a chance to talk about it. But Scott's on the the Backtracks Aerosmith show. He is he does the Uriah Heat podcast and his own podcast, of course, Haskin Cast, your original podcast, right? Um, yeah. So, so yeah, you can see him a number of ways, and we'll plug all of our socials and stuff at the end of the show, you know, if we remember to. Um, <laughs> we will. Um, all right. So, um, yeah. So, check out deepdivepodcastnetwork.com if you want to check out uh, other like-minded podcasts. Lots of great episodes, great, great uh, uh, shows to choose from. Or I'm actually in the process of kind of getting that site a little bit more cleaned up because it's been kind of just a wasteland for a while. So, should hopefully uh, get that into better running order soon. So, okay. So here we are um, getting into. Uh, the second half of the album, if you if you want to start at the beginning, go back one episode to episode 196, where we talk about the first half of this album. Um, but for now, we are uh, we're going to head into part two. Um, we left off with the track. What track was it? Ariel. Um, Ariel uh, about the mermaid um, last episode. And this episode, we're kicking right back in with uh, the next track. Are you guys ready to dive right back into the into the episode where we left off. I'm I'm ready to feel some more of John's excitement about this album. <laughs> yes. Woohoo. <laughs> oh, come on now. But it's it's funny when we when we um when we do these two parters like the first episode you you have to wait so long for the music and then in the second episode it's like boom the music's right there. Um you, you know what I realized too is by this time in my life, uh, I, I didn't have a stereo anymore. So this album, uh, I got direct on CD and, uh, I I'm wondering now if I were to get the vinyl, what the difference would be because they were starting to record digitally by then. Mm. And, uh, I, I would wonder, you know, quality wise, if there's a difference between the vinyl and the CD or cassette. I don't, did they release this on vinyl? Like originally? I think so. Because hmm. vinyl was still, it was it was kind of in the outskirts at, at the time, but I think they were still doing vinyl back then. Well, yeah, it was 95, right? So. I would think that was kind of like a low point for vinyl, but. Yeah. Oh, definitely. I mean, we've talked about how I picked up most of mine for like a song back then because nobody was buying it. Oh, yeah. I mean, I wish I could have just like take a time machine, go to 1995 and buy all these albums for a dollar and then fast forward now and sell them for probably 30 bucks a pop on, on Discogs. Oh. Yeah, five dollars at the Salvation Army, you'd be uh, you'd be running your own country. <laughs> exactly. I'm trying to look here on, on Discogs here, so let's find a format. Because um, if you see. think about the fan base, Richie's fans would have been vinyl, vinyl collectors for sure. Yeah, I'm only seeing two vinyl releases. One of them is like a re a reissued one that I'd come across. And preparing for the show from 2018 from Russia. The other one is on the Oyster label, UK and Europe. So I guess it must have been released UK and Europe. Uh, it doesn't have a date on it, though, but I would assume it was probably a limited run, though, I would think. I, would I mean, think they so. weren't like mass producing them. Yeah, I, I, I would think so. But it just looks like Europe mm. only like they didn't probably mm. uh, make their way to the States. But, cool, where you can get uh, an album on Discogs for $5 and $35 to ship it. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yeah, it's coming from the Netherlands. We'll, we'll triple your price. Um, okay, so moving over to the second half of the album. Uh, the first track on this second half, uh, the window I selected is invalid. What? Let's try that again. Um, coming up in the second half of this show, uh, here we go. The first track is... 
Too Late for Tears. And sorry, I can't I can't tolerate this. It's messing with my album art again. Absolutely <laughs> mind-blowingly annoying how big, VLC big does that. Big pet peeve for Nate here. Huge pet peeve. It, it's reasonably so. And nobody I, I, else cares, but <laughs> it I recently me off loaded. so much. I recently loaded my entire catalog onto my iPod and I thought, well, when in the in the little bit of time I do go out and driving when I drove to the NAMM show last year, uh, I thought I'm going to listen to my entire catalog from A to Z because I'm sure there's tons of great songs that I have that I don't even realize. And almost every album is it's either the wrong album art or the wrong band art or just well, some random picture. If I, if I was if I was counting on VLC to go into the Internet and find the album art for me, I wouldn't mind. I yeah. meticulously go through all of these songs, edit all the MP3 tags so that the album art is exactly the size and exactly what I want. And then it's like, you know what? You don't want that full screen size one. You want one that's about a quarter of the size and looks really bad. Like, right. why are you doing this to me? All right. So I'll try this one more time. If it doesn't work, I'll just I will steam about it silently for a little bit and try to get over it. So here we go. Too late for tears. A weird like orchestra hit on the right channel there. Mm -hmm. Like it was like a keyboard orchestra hit. This one's written by Blackmore, White and Pat Regan. Got a good groove to it. Yeah, yeah this I'm is liking this of, one so far. This is kind of what I'm, more what I'm thinking of for Rainbow. You might want to capture that sound clip of John saying he likes this because you may need it later. <laughs> <laughs> I'll just cut and paste it a bunch into the last episode. <laughs> I like how that snare just cuts right through. Overall, a pretty good mid-90s drum sound. Yeah. I like the little guitar fills he's throwing in there. Oh, so far, this track has some, some good energy to it. I'm a big Bell of the Ride Bell, Bell of the Ride Symbol fan, so... Very classic rainbow a, riff. Yeah, and Richie is just a king at layering in just those little few notes here and there to to spice it up. It has some similarities with another rainbow track and we'll get into that I uh, I, I'm trying to think of what it reminds me of can't happen here that's the one might be it yeah good call that, John wow that yeah that was pretty I'm kind of impressed <laughs> John, John looked just as surprised <laughs> as we were <laughs> well he's usually the one that goes this reminds me of something it's, but I don't know what it is either you get it or you don't either yep. you get it now or you won't get it till two in the morning it would have taken me all day to figure it out if I didn't have it right in front of me from this interview that I'm going to read from. <laughs> but see, when you guys get it at two in the morning, you can text me and I'll still be up. That's true. Yeah. <laughs> That's where the time change comes in handy. Too late, 
too late for tears. It sounds like a very like 80s. I was gonna say that's like an Ozzy title. Oh yeah, Ozzy. Let's check out the solo. Huh? Is he using wah in this? Sounds like it. Very unusual for him. The solo's not very upfront. It's a little muddy. And I don't know if you guys have the stereo mix, but it's oscillating from channel to channel, which yeah. is pretty cool. <clears throat> I mean, it was a really good solo, but it, it was a different effect than I've ever heard Richie use. Yeah, I don't I, I don't know of him using the wah pedal since like the Deep Purple album. Yeah, maybe in the early days, right? Yeah. It could have just been some sort of flanger or phaser he had on the on the track, but maybe could be. it was a wah. I love that like this is another song ad-libbing, but he's not mm -hmm. mentioning like legs over easy or anything. I love that Richie's just playing without like like just another song where he's just soloing till yep. the end. That's the way to do it. You know, if this was JLT, he'd be like, you know, the tears, they're really making me wet from the tears. <laughs> <laughs> They're all over the place. It's making a puddle and it's salty. Be like, well, you know, there's really no. He'd just be, he's just kind of saying think of that was about tears. He would be thrown in there. He's just kind of saying the same thing over and over. That again, he's not really riffing. He's just like, I'm just going to say the name yeah, of the song. That's true. Uh, and, and he's not changing pitch. He's not really putting anything into that. That's true, and yeah, J JLT would just be he'd, he'd pull up the Wikipedia entry on tears. They come from ducts. It's <laughs> like grabbing his thesaurus and they get rid of saline so they can dehydrate you. <laughs> um, all right, too late for tears. Um, who wants to go first, Scott? You want to kick it off with a. Sure. Uh, I, I'm going to give this one a 3.5. Right. I think it was a, a pretty good groove. Um, I think the guitar was a, a little too quiet. Uh, you know, that should have featured Richie a little more because that was a good solo. Um, but I think the vocals were a little disappointing, especially like they really could have brought it in the last part of that song. Um, but yeah, just much too much, too much, too late. Just, you know, nothing yeah. really there. And, and no pitch changes, no backing vocals, no no shine. I think on the on the vocal side of things, um, decent delivery, but nothing special. Musically, it was pretty good. All right, John. Um, I'll give this one a um, I'll give this one a three. Um, I thought it was pretty pretty good. I mean, um, uh, definitely a, a great way to kick off uh, side two or episode two or part two, whatever. Um, <laughs> but, um, yeah, I know that, uh, I, I think I, yeah, I gave a couple of other songs on here or three so far. I think this one was uh, like, okay. Um, I, I agree that the, uh, yeah, the guitar solo was, it was too muddled too in the background. Um, um, when you got, 
Richie Blackmore in Richie Blackmore's band, he should be he should be featured. He should be out front. Yeah. I mean, we know he's capable of uh, bringing it a lot more, but uh, I think it's just kind of like an average uh, rocker. And since it was kind of uh, reminiscent of another Rainbow song, it's like no reason for me to go back and ever listen to it again. <laughs> I just listen to go to listen to Can't Happen Here. There you go. So. Um, I'll give it a three as well. I liked it. I, 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 when it first kind of started off, I was thinking this is like in four territory, but I think some of the things you mentioned, I think just the overall production, the energy seemed to be there a lot higher. Um, some good, good playing, good solo. Uh, but, but again, the production was like a little muddy and a little far in the background for me. Um, so, all right. Well, oh, I forgot to even mention. So of this song, um, Young Guitar Magazine interviewed Richie Blackmore about this, and he said, Too Late for Tears sounds very interesting. All the studio versions are played slowly, although I have a habit of playing everything as fast as possible. But in the studio, you usually have to take care of the clarity of the sound to the detriment of the live sound. But in Too Late for Tears, I played very naturally. Ariel also came out naturally. Uh, the first take sounded like I was drunk, so I had to redo it. But the second, I was able to play better. Um, and then they ask him about having the riff similar to Can't Happen Here. He says, right, music goes round and round. Sometimes I play something and I don't even understand that I've already recorded it. Or sometimes I understand, but I like it so much that I decide to use the idea again um, to, the, to approach it from a different angle. As for this song, I understood that it was similar to Can't Happen Here, but I like this tune so much that I thought it was a good idea. If I thought this song was just a copy of Can't Happen Here, I wouldn't record it, but I thought it was worth it. Um, this is just a small part of the song. When we were composing it, I said, uh, a bit like Can't Happen Here, someone from the group asked, what are you going to do? Will you sue yourself? I said, well, yes, that's right. <laughs> so <laughs> there you go. All okay. right. The next uh, track is the song Black Masquerade, and this is actually where the uh, title of the album comes from in the lyrics of this. So listen along and see if you can catch it. Sounds like Trans Siberian Orchestra. Mm. Am I mistaken, or did Black uh, Black Horse Night do a version of this too? Probably. Yes, they did. That's some nice vocal layering. Oh, wait, no, I'm actually just finding he did it with more recent Rainbow. So maybe they didn't. Oh. But they might have done it in, like, part of the tour where they were opening or closing for them or whatever. That could be. Yeah, they've covered a lot of Rainbow songs. Since Richie loves all things German, I am enjoying some Megenbrot while we while we do this. Nice. It's uh, German. It's called... Translates as stomach bread. <laughs> so good. It's like gingerbread. It's really good. Hmm. Where'd you get that? I got it from Herman the German. 
That's the company that makes them. But I got it at the Chris Kindle market uh, before Chris, it's like the Christmas market. Right. They have all these stalls set up. It's really good. I'm wondering what the difference is between side A and side B when they played up tempo, but we just weren't feeling the energy in the song. And now all of a sudden I'm feeling the energy in the songs. Maybe the energy is in us. <laughs> no, it can't be us. It's the music. <laughs> it's not the fact that we're more awake now. <laughs> right, yeah. yeah. I didn't rush home so from a car issue. Yeah. It does sound much higher energy. And this is such a classic rainbow style song. Yeah. Last we talk, week, we talked about this being the bridge between Rainbow and Blackmore's Night, and here you go. Mm-hmm. For sure. I mean, you would never have expected finger symbols on a Rainbow album. <laughs> no. Now the harpsichord going there. Sounds very far back. Yeah. Too far back. Pretty I like that quiet. with the string pad, though. Yeah, but it sounds like a almost burn-like sort of solo, Bach-inspired. Bach yeah. You, you look, were you reacting mm. to that solo, John? You looked a little... Yeah, it's... it's... I'm trying to think about what it's missing, but Richie's solos just don't have any bite on this album. Like, I mean, the notes are all there. It sounds like Richie, but there's there's something it's not missing. cutting through the same way. Well, for one, they're all quiet. Yeah, you know, they're just too too far back in the mix. But is it is it maybe a tonal thing? Like the the guitar doesn't have enough crunch to it. I don't think so. I think the tone sounds good, but it's almost like it's just not. Yeah, like John said, not cutting through. Yeah. You know, I, I wonder if, aside from the production, I wonder if he was using any type of different gear because I know that there's, like, there's a difference between when you use, like, active pickups and passive pickups. Mm-hmm. And, I mean, you I should... don't know. It, just, it doesn't sound like he's playing on his Strat that has that really, you know, uh, typically really biting, cutting type of sound like some of those solos where it just like punches you right in the face like this one it just kind of like grabs a feather and shakes it in your face you know like (laughs) you're tickling my nose (laughs) but I I think like it just it sounds very like it sounds like it has no balls and it could have been a conscious effort to change his sound to not sound like he did on the last couple Deep Purple albums yeah but I don't know I mean he's like he's friggin He's friggin' Richie, you know what I mean? It's just like he should be able to put his stamp anywhere he goes. And I mean, he doesn't need to, And you know, we don't know if he did, but he doesn't need to change his guitar tone or anything to sound like him. Right. I you think know? that any um, sort of equipment change or major gear change would still be 
able to you'd be able to accom- accommodate that in the production so that it still cuts through. Like I know at a certain mm. point he stopped using Marshalls, um, and I know he it's, there's some things of him you, where he's he's using different pickups or something on his on his Strat. Like there might be one where he's like like the fender lace sensors instead of the coil pickups or something. I don't know. I'm not, I don't know enough about the gear stuff to know, but I, it seems to me that no matter what type of instrument you're playing or what, what sort of gear you're coming through, that should be able to cut through the music regardless. Well, and and a lot of it comes down to the mix engineer too, because regardless of what gear you're using, you should be able to EQ a guitar to cut through when it needs to and lay back when it needs to. And that's part of the gig. Yeah, totally. So anyway, that was Black Masquerade. Um, and in that one, he's got the lyric, the lyric in that one. I can't remember if we talked about this last um, uh, last episode, but he, one of the lines is the full moon unmasks the stranger in us all. And that's where the title of the album comes from. But I was probably talking about stomach bread while that was happening. Sorry. Mmm, <laughs> um, appetizing. I know. But well, this was in my son's stocking for Christmas, but he was like, stomach bread? Mm, no, thanks. So I'm like, fantastic. More for me. All it doesn't set. It doesn't translate well. Yeah, that, mm. that title sells it, though, really. It's, it's just gingerbread. And from, from last week after the show, I was going through my quality street candies that I, that I talked about. And mm-hmm. it's got the legend on the back with all the different candies. And the next one I grabbed out was in this purple wrapper. And I looked it up, and it's called the purple one. So I saved it for this week. But it's uh, noisette, so is that hazelnut? It's like a hazelnut caramel wrapped in chocolate. So more on that later. But uh, I bet Scott, I bet you could connect the guy that uh, asked the question on the the lighter with stomach bread because that's probably something he would buy. That's right. Yes, stomach bread. Yeah, yeah. exactly. What? Yeah. See, whenever I'm getting the munchies, I go for. I reach for my stomach bread. <laughs> so Scott, what do you think of Black Masquerade? You know, this had some really good energy to it. Uh, I really liked the vocal layering, and uh, I, I love the harpsichord in there. Um, definitely Bach-esque, I would say. But uh, yeah, I'm going to give this a 3.75. I think it had some some really good uh, changes and feel to it. I, I would like a little bit better production, but we get what we get. So uh, yeah, I, I would say if it was if that guitar was cutting through, I probably could have bumped it up to a four. Maybe, but um, yeah, I'm good with 3.75. 3.75, unprecedented. All right. Is that is that okay? I, I guess. We I, don't, do I, I don't want to mess up your, your scale there. We usually do only 0.5s, yeah. but hey. If yeah, you, we usually go by halves, but you know, if you want to, if you want to go in like quarters, that's fine. You're, you're the it's, guest. It's just, go for it. It's just like it'll all average out. Yeah. This is true. That's yeah, all this good. Is this is 2023. Let's let's do it a little different. Exactly. Huh? Let's yeah. evolve. It's our show. We can do or whatever the hell the whatever the hell we want. Carving a path. We don't have to you know stay you know slave to this system. We can do whatever we want. That's right. I won't be a slave. I'll be a master. Like like uh, the simple man on uh, Skinner Reconsidered. He'll do like you know a, a 6.59 or whatever. You know he'll just he was always throwing in crazy rankings. So let's just do it or 4.8 or something like that. I think he just does it to the to the tenth <laughs> decimal. So. Right. All right, Scott. What do you think? John. <laughs> Sorry, John. What do you think? Your name's John. I'm Nate. I mean, I can go <laughs> <Sorry>. again. <laughs> no, I'm the other Scott. I'm asking um, you to reconsider here. Yeah. <laughs> Um, I'll, I'll give it a three. Um, I thought that it was, um, it, it kind of like when I was listening to the main, I don't know, not riff, but like part. Yeah, it sounded, it sounded similar to something that would be on, uh, Battle Rages on 
Mm. Um, it, it reminded me of something, but see, now I can't think of it. Um, but I did like how there was a little variety in there where he threw in the, uh, the kind of, uh, acoustic, uh, bridge or pre-solo. Um, I like the, even though it was kind of mixed low, the, um, the, the harpsichord type thing, at least he was calling back to some cool stuff that is not entirely new. I mean, he did that in purple as well, but I mean, it was, it was done really well and it was uh, not as, uh, you know, some of these songs can get a little, uh, repetitious. Um, mm-hmm. so that was, uh, nice to hear something in there to spice it up a little bit. Yes. I will also give it a three and I liked, um, I liked that part too. And I like it kind of harkened back to burn where I thought it was going to be more of a little bit of a, an homage to burn, but it really just kind of just went into Richie's solo after that. But I really liked it. Um, so yeah, I'll give that one a three. I think that's the big difference too with this album versus other Rainbow albums and and the way that um, you know Richie interacted with John Lord and Purple is that I'm not getting the back and forth between the keyboard and and the guitar. Mm-hmm. I'm getting them as just two instruments playing in the same band and not having that relationship that we even saw in Rainbow. I mean, especially with David Rosenthal and songs like Death Alley Driver and you know Don Airy on Spotlight Kid. Um, I think we're missing that in this yeah. version of Rainbow. That's mm-hmm. a really good point. I think it, it comes from. I think John Lord was probably the only one that whether he considered him or not to be like that Richie was like an equal, you know, mm-hmm. rather than you work for me sort of thing. Right. Um, and so with him and John Lord, there there was more of that. And, you know, John Lord was, you know, he's played with some amazing. I mean, he hasn't played with a bad keyboard player ever. He's just played yeah. with a, they're all they've all been amazing. Um, but I don't think he held them in that same regard. Mm-hmm. and didn't didn't uh, maybe offer them the same space that he would willingly cede to John Lord. Um, so maybe that maybe that is some of it. Mm-hmm. But, but I agree. I would have liked to see a little bit more of that back and forth. And honestly, quite honestly, when, in my opinion, when Deep Purple reformed, they never him and John Lord never really had that same relationship again. He I don't, uh. I don't know that, you know, I think legally and everything, he was still considered to be at the same level or whatever, but he definitely seemed to take more of the spotlight rather than sharing it. And mm-hmm. I hadn't really noticed that until you guys did your Perfect Strangers review and, and it had noted that it was disappointing that John wasn't on that album as much as a soloist. I hadn't really considered it. And and then when you mentioned, I thought, you know, you're right. The, the dynamic was really different mm-hmm. uh, from the Reformation on. I didn't I didn't um, notice it either until we, like mid episode because like, hey, what's going on here? But uh, I think it, you'll when you when you guys get to the Morse era, you'll find it changed back. Yes, I, I agree. I, and that that's something I've been more a little more conscious of and listening to the more stuff uh, and thinking back to it. Um, mm-hmm. And that's, I think, what makes, you know, not to tip my hand too much, but, you know, I don't want to get episodes ahead here but <laughs> that's i think right. what, what makes me lean into that a little bit more mm-hmm. yeah but anyway next song up is a track uh this one is called silence so far it's not living up to its title <laughs> you should have just muted the track <laughs> that is a really weird keyboard patch kind of brassy oh wow it sounds like a you fool no one yeah wow 
Yeah, I don't remember writing that one. Uh... <laughs> that little that yeah. brassy synth thing is kind of taking me a little bit out of it, but I like yeah. I like the the bones of the song though. I like the riff. I like how you expect it's going to end, and it just goes one more step further. But Richie's always been good at those complex riffs, you know, instead of it being like four or eight bars or four or eight measures or uh, notes. It's just like this, you know, four measure, eight measure riff that he's really good at that. Yep. But it is, um, I feel like melody-wise, that is very derivative of You Can't Fool No One. Or You oh, Fool yeah. No One, rather. Oh, yeah. I feel like the guitar's cutting through right here. I was just going to say, yeah. That's Definitely what, more of a classic Richie sound, a lot more high-end to it. Yeah. almost roadhouse blues sort of feel to it that riff yeah yeah good call almost had a little Glenn Hughes coming off the end of that note yeah well he's definitely bringing it a little more with the vocals on this track yeah, for sure. And like Richie I said, wish he's he would have a very versatile singer. He can sing it just about anything. Yeah. See, I wish he would have brought this to the last song. Nice. I think they're about like maybe like eight to ten years too late with that keyboard patch, but that's okay. <laughs> it's a throwback, John. Yeah. It's not bad. It's just kind of weird to hear that in a mid-90s rainbow album. I don't think it fits the song at all. No, I, I think you, for me, it's a, you either bring in a real horn section or you don't. <laughs> yeah. That you're not fooling anybody with that that brass patch. Yeah, you could have hired the like Huey Lewis's the news horn section or something. <laughs> or you could have hired me to do a track. Any cheapo pro outfit that would have done a great job. You know that 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 would probably have done it for five hundred bucks <laughs> one, <laughs> right. one session. You know. Or could have done some like uh, layering with a Hammond type of thing, like a John Lord type of thing. Yeah, like, if just wow, yeah. wow, and just like did like a like an organ <laughs> growl I knew you were or something. Say that. You, you know what? A, a, gr- wow. <laughs> a, a gritty <laughs> organ on this would have been a lot better than a brass sound. Yeah, and it, it is what it is. It's 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 a keyboard, so it's it's an organ. Make it or an organ or a keyboard. Make it sound like an organ or a keyboard. Don't. I mean, don't try honestly, to emulate. It didn't, it didn't ruin it. I mean. No. But it was, I mean, I'm, it, it sounded kind of like, oh, OK, we're like, wow, we took notice of it. it sounded weird. But I, I don't know. In, in my opinion, it didn't ruin it. It was just kind of like we're thinking of of things uh, like, oh, they, they could have done this instead. 
You right, know, yeah. It's funny though, you mentioned Huey Lewis, it almost didn't did get it. that one little <laughs> section. But, but, it was like a Huey it was a Huey Lewis vibe, but just would have been cooler if they had done it with real horns. It's right. the power of love. It's the power of silence. <laughs> beep beep. <laughs> All right. Uh Scott, what do you think about silence? Yeah, I'm going to give this one a three. Uh, I, I really like the riff. I think the solo was good, but just the overall song um, just really didn't didn't do a whole lot for me. All right. Scott, I'm John. Stop <laughs> saying Scott. Scott, Scott, Scott. Well, I give it a three. <laughs> All right, good, good. We'll do you one You're more time. You're saying Scott so he can like, uh, we can we can leverage, you know, we can kind of even out the ratings. You'd be yeah. like, Scott, you can vote twice. <laughs> vote twice. Just in case yeah, John doesn't vote. Uh, Let's pump right. these numbers up. Uh, no, I, um, I'll actually give this one a, a three as well. Um, I did like it. Uh, despite the, the, the keyboard patch, like I said, it didn't ruin it for me. I, and I did think that it was a, it was a heavier riff. It was a more cutting solo. I think that, that, uh, Doogie brought more with the vocals, uh, just in general. And I mean, I, I mean, I'm going to be biased and I mean the, the, you fool no one, uh, uh, verse it's like, even though it's pretty much a copy of it, I liked it. Yeah. <laughs> because yeah. I mean, I like you fool no one. Yeah. It's one They're of my favorite songs. Yeah. You really like, so why not like so, it? Right. <laughs> but I mean, overall the song had more going for it, even if it was uh, kind of a derivative and there were some things in it that we would change. Uh, I, I thought it was a, a cool listen. Yeah. And it just it reminds me of so many songs that I've written over the years where I, you know, you're playing it back and you don't realize till like a month later, you're like, oh crap, I just totally rewrote the part of a song that I really like and yeah, put it in much. there, you know, that had that kind of vibe. But hey, he's the one who wrote the original song too. So he, it's he much, much he easier than me just being Fair like, enough. oh crap, I rewrote a Beatles song. Well, oh well. <laughs> what are you going to do? Um, I'll give this one a 3.5. I think it might be my favorite on the album so far. Um, I really like, I, I feel like the dun, 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 that like kind of generic sort of blues thing could really wear on me and get old. But it, but because of all the other things they're throwing in, it really uh, distracts you from it and it, it doesn't get too old in my opinion. But yeah, yeah. the you fool no one thing is blatantly obvious to me. And then the, uh, that I just can't get into that, that keyboard patch is just distracting. It just takes me out of the song or it, it would have been better to have nothing there or silence, if you will. Um, or like we said, a gritty Oregon or just, or anything, or just like Richie just going, bruh, bruh, like just doing a note bend or something, anything that's like yeah. a real instrument, but it's that kind of, um, that uncanny Valley aspect of when you're, uh, it's probably not even in the uncanny, it's probably in the kind of canny Valley. It's not quite there yet where it's like, it's so clearly not, horns that it takes you out of it well watch watch i'll look it up and it's actually those are real horns because sometimes they produce real <laughs> horns really poorly and they sound like well official horns if you took that horn section real or fake out um i think that it, it actually would have added to the song because you would have featured richie's riff a little bit more there would have been more space there it might have made it sound a little more raw live maybe yep well, I mean, so. and, and imagine, you know, a keyboard like, uh, it, I mean, to throw back to John Lord, but imagine John Lord playing his typical rhythm organ to Richie, you know, using the beast through the through the distortion. Just mm. just even doing counterpoint or something could have really taken the song to another level. Yeah. Right. Yeah, totally. OK, well, the next one up is um, a popular track in the Richie catalog, and that is Hall of the Mountain King. 
little pizzicato to start it off there. Uh, in an interview with Doogie, I heard Tim talk about he was working on lyrics for this song and uh, Richie came in and handed him the lyrics that Candace had written and said, here's the lyrics to the song. <laughs> I would really be curious to know what Doogie's lyrics were for this one. And it's interesting taking like a well-known piece of music and then writing lyrics for it. Yeah. Although that's kind of what the original song Deep Purple was. It was an instrumental for a while and then whatever. 15, 20 years really? later, they decided a, to put lyrics on it. Oh, a wow. famous um, Rainbow song or Richie song? Why is that? I don't know, it's just kind of a well-known thing that he... he. It seems like it gets a lot of attention, and it, and it you know, because he's a big fan of this song and the original music and... Uh, Edward Grieg, yeah. Okay. It seems to be yeah, one I know it is, it drags is a, out a it's lot. It's a cover, right? Well, it's, you know, like an old... An old song. I don't know when it's from, but like the 1800s or something. The I think it was amount. the 1800s. Yeah, uh, it was Edward Grieg. This is part of the Peter Gint suite of, of uh, pieces. Um, it, it starts off really slow and just builds, and the tempo yeah. just increases as the song goes on. It's very Dio. Yeah. Yeah, I think I put this in my show notes, but... Yeah, it's 1875. Ah. Uh. A lot of the Dio sounding vocals has to do with the effects that were on his voice. Mm-hmm. And this is credited as Edvard Grieg. Lyrics by Candace Knight and arrangement by Blackmore. It makes sense. Oh, that was funny. That that he threw in there was like um, King of Dreams. Oh, yeah. You wouldn't think that Doogie has such a Scottish accent, but when you listen to him talk, it's so thick, but it just oh, does yeah. not come out in his vocals at all. See, these vocals, that, that kind of power that he's putting into it, I feel like if he would have put that power into some of the other songs, it would have just driven them a little more. But I feel like some of the ones that, they, that even one that we listened to earlier today, it just didn't have that emotion in it, that drive, you know? And I always just wonder if it's a production thing, because he's clearly, you're, he's not belting these out weekly. Right, yeah. Hall of the Mountain King. You know, he's not phoning it in so like how do you not capture that in the in the mix right so here you know, maybe the, the gonna... shame too here is is that like yeah i mean i wish i could go back and hear this version of the band live um and not get my eardrums <laughs> and not blown leave. out <laughs> but 
But I mean, the point being is, is that I'm, I'm wondering if this version of the band actually was that good and you just needed to appreciate them live. Like maybe they were better in a live setting because I mean, mm -hmm. that's fair. I've seen a lot of, we've talked about that where we've seen bands or heard songs live that just sound so static on, yeah. on record. Mm -hmm. And then when you, when you actually hear it in a non-controlled setting, it's it's much or a lesser controlled setting not a studio setting it's like wow this is like a different song completely not well yeah a, a being in a recording studio can be very intimidating a lot of people even you know very well seasoned professional musicians hate being in the recording studio because they know every note can get scrutinized and you know uh talked about at nauseum so live settings are great for that for those kind of musicians and um, I remember in the old days, John Lord saying they hated going into the studio for that reason. And now, of course, you know, with, with Bob Ezra in there, like, this is what we always wanted it to be. Mm. There's the wah. Yeah, right. It was all about the wah around this time. So Interesting. They, they kind of they did finish the song up with that frantic energy, like the that the I want to say original, but the the intention of the original piece kind of has. I, I didn't hear the original. I must confess, from eighteen seventy five. I don't think anybody is still alive that has. Um, but it's um, to your point. I, I mean, I think R Richie's. Um, I don't know that he ever was with any band line up long enough to really get that sort of chemistry and comfort in the studio or anything you know he's constantly bringing in new people uh, sometimes right. mid-session and you come in and you're going to be a little cold and a little it's going to be a little more sterile you can get the best drummer in the world but if there's if the chemistry is not there you're going to come in and it's just going to be a feel a little rigid it's not going to gel together you know look, look at a band like well i mean look at any big band but you take like the Beatles none of them were even remotely close to being a virtuoso by any stretch of the imagination on any of their instruments but when mm -hmm. they came together it was you know they made some stuff that was really special and and they they gelled together really well and you know for you know I don't want to speak for Kiss for John's thing but you know you could probably the original lineup of Kiss probably had less um uh you know musical skill if you want to call it that than the subsequent lineups but what no, they I'd created was resonates a lot more with people because of how they gelled together. Well, yeah, I mean, the um, I, I think it's a very similar um, comparison, too, um, because uh, Gene and Paul were really into the Beatles, big influence. And they were almost, you know, they were almost the same. They wanted to get together a band of four distinct personalities like the Beatles uh, to create some memorable music, which they did. And by their own admission, none of them were virtuoso musicians or any good, but um, based on your personal taste, what they did when they got together was fantastic. And yeah, they did great stuff after the original lineup, but nothing quite like it. And even when the guys were on their own doing solo, it was never quite as good as it was when the four of them were together. And I mean, you could pick a lot of bands and say the same thing. Oddly enough, Deep Purple is the exact opposite. They were great together and on their own <laughs> with, the, with varying results. But I mean, you, you can't pick any one of the members from any of the marks and say they didn't have at least one good solo project. Right. And if you right. look at the changes through Deep Purple over 53 years now, um, all, all of those lineups were together for at least some good amount of time. If you look at Rainbow... 
how quick people were in and out. They had that that interview that came out recently. I can't remember if we texted about it or whatever with that guy that was in Rainbow for like a week <laughs> and it didn't work out, you know, it just didn't didn't gel with Richie or whatever. But if mm-hmm. you're cycling through people that fast, yeah, you'll get Rainbow's not gonna have a bad musician in their band at any point, but um how, how much chance do they stand if they if they just can never quite get there? So well, and, and it's like fantasy sports. I mean, you could put the greatest people on the same team. It doesn't mean that they're going to be a successful team. That they're just going to dominate, you know, whatever the sport is. I think right. that's that's the the problem is whatever Richie was searching for in Rainbow, uh, he no one ever would have had the chance to get there because they wouldn't have been there long enough to to grow into it. You know, I mean, in, in Purple, he was working with pretty much everybody in that band was a virtuoso. So, you know, which is why they went on to all have successful solo projects. But, you know, when it came to Rainbow, he specifically went after a lot of people that were unknown. And, you know, like nobody knew who David Rosenthal was. He had just graduated from music college. Nobody knew who David Stone was for the same reason. Mm-hmm. And uh, had they been able to stay in the band for three or four years, I mean, but but Richie also wouldn't have let it become a family like most bands are because he would distance himself and, you know, because he, he likes to be alone anyway. So I don't know if they if they ever would have gotten to that point. Um, but I would I would have liked to have seen what this band was like live with the older songs and seeing how how they mesh with the previous material to. Because you can't you can only judge them on new material to an extent because you have nothing to compare it to. But if you were to hear them do you know, Stone Cold or Power or, you know, uh, All Night Long or something, um, then you'd really get the sense of how together they were. I've heard Doogie do Stargazer and it's pretty good. I mean, he's, he's uh, got the voice for it. He's got a great voice and he's somebody who could kind of go through different <clears throat> different eras of the band pretty, pretty fluently. Not to yeah. belabor the point, and I hate to make a sports analogy, um, but... One of the things I always thought was cool, I, I, when I, I was a big hockey fan growing up, and while I was not a hockey fan at this time because I wasn't alive, but from like the 40s through like the 60s, instead of like the typical all-star game that we'd know, it would be what they would do is the Stanley Cup champion team would play against an all-star team of all the other players in the league. And I always and I never got to see one of them because it was done in like the 60s. Um, But I thought that was so much cooler than just taking all the best players versus all the best players because you had it was showing like how a team that's a great team and they're going to have some people on the team that aren't, you know, Hall of Famers and aren't aren't legendary. But this team goes great with their with their great coach and all this plays against um, a team of all just the best players. And mm-hmm. it's interesting. I always thought that was really interesting. And the same thing is true of music. Like when you take like, you know, the original lineup of Kiss versus, you know, all the, you know, the 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 the, the, the usual suspect great players, you know, having, you know, Mike Portnoy on drums and, you know, whoever <laughs> else on, you know, like some shredder on guitar playing the exact same songs, which one's going to resonate more? And, and I think it's it's a hard and I, you know. I think Mike Portnoy is someone I really respect and I think has like got a great perspective of it. I think he'd be the first one to admit like, no, we couldn't we couldn't do it as as much as no one from Kiss could ever play anything that Mike Portnoy has even thought about. He still, with all of his knowledge and skill, would not be able to replicate that same feeling of Kiss, you know, and it's um, it's interesting that it works that way. And you you can't Mm -hmm. just um, you can't just put together this all star uh, you know how many failed uh, 
all-star lineup bands have there been, you know, that just, you know, they didn't have the, the, the chemistry, they didn't have the material, whatever it was, but. Right. Anyway, I think what I think what we need to do is do you remember that show Celebrity Deathmatch where they had the claymations of, <laughs> yeah. of different celebrities? Like we need to do that show, but with bands and just have them fight it out. Like we'll have the real musicians record it and then we'll just do like a, a, a claymation version of them performing it live. So um, Richie says of, of this in an interview. Somebody asked him about the new album, Hall of the Mountain King. He said, you played that with the Lancasters at the beginning of the 60s. And Richie says, how did you find that out? It's almost not true anymore. I think that was in 1964, long before Deep Purple. Yes, I played a few sessions at that time with the Outlaws produced by Joe Meek, um, then with Heinz, um, and also sessions for fun. Nicky Hopkins, Chaz Hodges, Mickey Dallin. I think that got... That really got nice around. So, um, so he he had performed. This is a song that even in the early '60s was something that was on his mind. And he says, uh, "Edvard Grieg is a Norwegian composer. I am attracted to his personality. He was a weirdo. I read books about him. He was a hermit. His music is filled with depression. It seems to convey what is happening in my head. This is a wonderful melody. I am fascinated by such majestic and melancholic melodies. I first saw the fourth act of Peer Grint on TV at the age of nine. I heard in the Hall of the Mountain King, and this music just mesmerized me. I immediately had clear images of caves, witches, and long nails. Mom couldn't understand why it interested me so much. By the way, I'd already wrote it down once in one session in 64. Um, then it was an instrumental. So something that he's, uh, he says, this is probably my favorite song on the album. It's great. It's easy to play, but the music doesn't always have to be difficult to be interesting. So that's his take on, on this song. And with that, with our long aside, how are we going to rank this one, Scott? Well, uh, I have I, I have a bit of a history with this song because I was on my lunch break. I had just started working at, at a music store in Colorado Springs. I was on my lunch break. Uh, I had been uh, didn't have a lot of money, and I had let my insurance lapse unfortunately on my car. So I I see the store. It's within my field of vision. I'm that close to it. I'm listening to this song and it's getting to that part where the the tempo's picking up. What I didn't realize is that as the tempo sped up my foot got a little heavier on the gas pedal and uh, I got a speeding ticket and I ended up having to do like 120 hours of community service, which just boiled wow. down to like three weeks of shredding documents for some unknown company. <laughs> for some corrupt politician. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and, and, you know, constantly oiling the machine that would overheat because literally that's all I did all day. How fast were you uh, going that you had to do all that community service? It, it wasn't much. I think they were trying to make an example out of me or Oof. something because I was young and I had long hair at the time. So uh, it was punk. it was kind of a thing. And uh, yeah, I know. <laughs> yeah, hippie. Punk. hippie. <laughs> young, long haired punk. I, I should have listened to Graham Bonnet and get my hair short. <laughs> um, but uh, no, I, I'm going to give this song uh, for, the, for the first time in history a five. Wow. I All absolutely right. love it from beginning to end. I've always oh. loved this song. Uh, I love the original and it's and on a keyboard, it's a lot of fun to play that riff too. Um, I just, I love everything about it. The energy, the way Doogie riffs on this, especially at the end when he's hitting the higher notes, he's just got so much power and energy in his voice. I think Richie's playing is fantastic. I love the choir on it. Uh, it just it hits everything for me. All right, Scott, number two, what do you think? <laughs> um, well, I'm going to, I'm going to go half that and give it a 2.5. Oh my goodness. Wow. Um, I mean, that's as we have we said before, that's that's average. 
It's right in the middle. Might sound low, but um, yeah, it didn't really, I, despite all this, it didn't really do much for me. Um, yeah, I don't know if it's because the, you know, the da da na 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 part is too familiar to me, and I'm thinking of a, I don't know, a Bugs Bunny cartoon or whatever else it might have been in, but it's just, it's, um, yeah, it, it kind of was uh, distracting for that reason. And um, yeah, I mean, um, I, I think that that's kind of the, the problem with, um, with such a well-known, well-known songs, especially the ones that far back um, that, are, that are that old, that a band, a, a current day band will, try and reproduce is that sometimes some of those bits are so well known in pop culture that it, it almost spoils it for you because you can't hear anything else. Um, as far as I was concerned, I'm like, Oh, they, they just kind of threw that in there. And then I'm like, Oh no, wait, I guess this is actually part of the song. And I guess it was just kind of me overthinking it a little bit, but either way, I, um, you know, I didn't, I, I didn't find anything kind of uh, too outstanding about it, uh, honestly, but it wasn't bad. Yeah. Um, yeah, I can see. It's interesting that Richie always comes back to this, like, he'll take a song like this and release it and say it's the song, but he does, he usually does change it up quite a bit. And that's kind of what they, what they did mm -hmm. here. But um, I'll give this one a 3.5. I, I enjoy the performance. I think it's, uh, I think it's a lot of fun. I think it's well done. I think they do that sped up part well at the end. Um, yeah, I think it's pretty good. Um which leads us to the last track on the U.S. version, uh, which is a Rainbow, a Richie Blackmore's Rainbow in particular song we're familiar with. And that one is called Still I'm Sad. Revisiting this one, but putting a different spin on it. And this time with vocals. I always liked that the original album version was instrumental mm. and cowbell heavy. But then the live version, uh, Ronnie actually sang on. Yeah, right. Yeah, I enjoyed and, both. And I can't remember if they said they just like ran out of time in the studio or something, which <laughs> seemed weird to include it instrumental. But this is a very nice melodic intro to it. This just feels like what Richie would do on stage, yeah. you know, getting yeah. ready to introduce the song. Totally. I'm just waiting for him to wave his hand to the band <laughs> and his and his typical um, Richie kind of re revisiting of an old song. Mm -hmm. The last old classical song he redid, I think, with Rainbow was difficult to care, wasn't it? Um, probably. I think so. Nice little slide there. I mean, I love this intro. It instantly has like just more up, up in your face sort of feeling to it. I was trying to think about where this riff came from though, because didn't, didn't, wasn't this like part of the, one of his live acts, like a transition or something that they did? I mean, it sounds like, um, Sounds like a lot of stuff he did. I can't, yeah. I can't remember though. <laughs> no, it sounds like Zeppelin, you know? Mm. 
really love the kick and snare on this this one. It sounds the way they're cutting through is really good. And of course, this is a Yardbirds song. Written by Paul Samuel Smith and Jim McCarthy. It is so different. It's really like depressing and almost like a funeral dirge. Yeah. I love that the song was on the album Having a Rave Up. It's like the most 60s album title ever. <laughs> We're having a rave, having a rave. <laughs> Come on along. Smashing. What was that phrase that Ian Pace used uh, when, when the Hall of Fame thing was first announced? And he says something like, if Richie shows up, there's going to be a punch up. <laughs> I'm like, a punch up? <laughs> It's a wild guitar effect. More Zeppelin sounding stuff. His tone is on this is really interesting, though, too. It's a, a little more reverbed. Yeah. She has some great stuff to say about this one, too. Cool. I mean, is it me or did the solo just kind of seem to disappear for a couple of measures and then just said, oh, yeah, I'm not done yet. And then just came back and played a few more notes. <laughs> so anything yeah. anything about this that seems unpolished or incomplete maybe will be um, answered by Richie's statement about the song. <laughs> OK. <laughs> As we know, it's not easy to get Richie to do something he doesn't want to do. It's his band, though. <laughs> Yeah, which makes it even harder. <laughs> well, I mean, as a producer, how do you tell Richie Blackmore what to do? Yeah, I mean, I, I think there may have been some of those producers in the past, but they are in the past. Because this wasn't a Martin Birch one. This was not. This is Pat Regan from Dare to be Stupid. And this was the first time they'd worked together, right? I believe so. like those backing vocals way off in the distance. It's cool. I effect. really like that. You know, it was years before I knew there were backing vocals on the original because they're so far in the background. Mm. Oh, yeah. Well, I mean, Rainbow's original, not the Leg Arbert's right. original. All right, so I'll try to read this quote from, um, from Richie. Uh, it's translated, I think, from a Japanese... Uh, magazine, so it's a little, it might be a little, a little off, but he says, um, uh, we played it at rehearsals. The musician said it sounded great. I already played it at concerts with vocals. Uh, it was not very interesting to me, but the guys liked it very much. When people from the record company found out about this, they insisted that we should record it. I was tired of it, so I just couldn't bring myself to properly record it. Of course, it would take only an hour to record, but after five minutes, I got tired and said, that's it, I won't play anymore. <laughs> the fact is that it does not uh, it does not mean anything. At first, it was supposed to be a bonus track. Anyway, still I'm sad makes me sad all the time. So <laughs> that was it. Wow. 
you know, you get Richie in the right in the right mood, and he's just like, nope, not doing it, not interested, don't want to do it, even though he'd been playing it on stage for all this time. So that might explain why some of the solos are a little incomplete or whatever. Hey, Richie, you want to wow. go do another pass? He's like, no, see you, see you later. He's like, he's he's, he's closing no. the door behind him. Like, okay. Well. By the way, here's that screwdriver. <laughs> yeah, from yeah. The- you do it this time. I'm not even going to yeah. use the screwdriver myself. Take care. Well, it, it does. It does show something really interesting, though. I mean, even though it's Richie's band, it's a Richie Blackmore's Rainbow. The record company still has the ability to step in and say, look, if you're going to publish this album through us, if we're going to put right. our money into it, here's how it's going to go. So it, it's still you know, we can look at some of the individual uh, things in the songs and say and, and assume that all these are Richie's decisions. But clearly they're not. I mean, the record company has the right to go. That song's not going on the album. This one's going to be the single. We even saw that with Machine Head, where they said, no, uh, you know, you guys thought it was going to be never before. No, it's not. It's going to be, you know, this um, really interesting to see the the actual balance of that, because it's too easy for us to to make assumptions on what happened, because we assume that Richie's in control of everything. But he's not right. He's in control and probably m- many more people are at this point, you know, in, in being yeah. kind of the band leader and making a lot of the calls. But yeah, still, you're kind of a slave to that record company in, in some ways. So what would you uh, rank this one, Scott? Um, I'm going to give this one a, a 3.5. I, I still think it's a pretty good version. I think it could have been better if if obviously now I know why. But uh, overall, I like I really like Doogie's performance. I think the energy on the song is pretty good. The drums sound great. Um, yeah, 3.5. All right, John. I will I will match uh Scott number one's three point five <laughs> with a three point five. Um yeah, I, I thought that it was um it it's it's really interesting that as we get closer to the end of the album, it seems to be getting getting more inspired. And um I don't know if that's because we all know the song. I'm familiar with it. I like the vocal version. Obviously, I thought the the live ones, the versions they did with Ronnie were much better. But um this one was, uh, I, I think, a good middle of the road version. It was pretty decent, um, kind of, kind of uninspired solo by Richie, but we know why. <laughs> I, I assume you're talking about Ronnie James Dio, not Ronnie Romero, right? Yeah, Ronnie Ronnie Dio, yeah, okay. Ronnie James. Um, like the original versions, like from the, um, didn't they do it on the uh, the the Rainbow uh, Live in Concert album? Yeah, on stage, oh, yeah. on stage, right? Oh, live on stage. I'm sorry, yeah, yeah. yeah. So it's, um, and I mean that's like the the gold standard for it. Like I, I love the original album version. The instrumental was always so cool. And then when I heard the on stage version, I'm like, oh shit, there's vocals. I mean, you got Ronnie <laughs> singing them. It's yep. great. So I mean, really, what more could you do with it other than? cover it with a different band and vocalist and um you know this one this one was pretty good yeah um i'll give it a 3.5 as well i enjoyed it i enjoyed the performance uh, i thought it was it's interesting sometimes those songs that the, they, they are half-baked and they don't even want like you know mitzi dupree is an example of you know richie is like nope i'm done and he's, he's out the door and they still cobbled it together somehow and it and it's one of my favorite tracks on that album and it's kind of the same with this where it's something that and maybe that's because it has that more spontaneous feel to it. It feels more like there's more chemistry than than something that was maybe even labored upon longer than that. But um, but yes, very interesting. So that is the end of the album proper. But the Japanese version has one bonus track. Do you want to do you want to take a listen to that one? Yeah, I don't think I've ever heard it. <laughs> I'm just kidding. I'm kidding. I'm kidding. 
So this one is a song called Emotional Crime. Hmm. Japanese get an extra track. Bluesy intro here. This is written by Blackmore White and Pat Regan. I wonder how how relevant that because I know bands still do that. The record companies require a, a additional bonus track for Japan, but I'm wondering how relevant that is in the digital world where it all just gets out anyway. I don't think it is. I'm probably not anymore. But yeah, why does Japan need a bonus track? I don't know. They've been doing what's, that for decades. Yeah. What's the what's the history of that? I don't know. I'll be interested to look into that though. There's got to be some reason behind it. It's got a grooving bass line. Sounds very JLT in the vocal delivery, too. This one sounds like it could be a JLT era rainbow or maybe even Deep Purple song. Mm. Yeah, like Slave and Masters. Yeah, it would, this would have fit well on Slaves and Masters. Well, this bass sounds so different than it has on the other songs. I wonder if he's playing a different bass. Yeah, it really stands out. It sounds like the whole song sounds like songwriting-wise, production sounds like it's from a different session or era. Yeah. See? That's what Richie should sound like. Yeah. Yeah, it's got the classic, you know, falling down the stairs intro to the solo and everything. Mm-hmm. It's great. Falling up the stairs. See <laughs> him <laughs> tumbling down. When he reaches the bottom of the stairs, he's still got the hat on, though. <laughs> it's the buckle that keeps it together. <laughs> it's actually a, there's a button in his head it snaps into. <laughs> I mean, I wonder if this one was recorded, um, like we were saying, different different sessions. Maybe it was a different producer as well. Hmm. I don't think so, because Pat Regan's credited as, <clears throat> excuse me, he's credited as um, songwriting for it. So I don't think he would have given it to another producer. Well, whatever happened, I mean, it sounds a lot better than most of the album. It's, I don't know, that's was, kind of a cheesy line. Keep a knocking, but they can't come in. It's like, yeah. <laughs> can't all be gems. Yeah. <laughs> Emotional crime. Just the title of it does not sound like a rainbow song title. No. It sounds, well, it sounds no. like a JLT. It doesn't sound like a Wizards and yeah. Witches uh, title. I can already hear him riffing on the end. Emotion, emotion, emotion. Emotional crime. Come on, Judge, let's clear the docket. <laughs> you do the emotional Anyone crime, you match? do the emotional time. I <laughs> got a match. <laughs> I'm going to burn up this Fire, ice, and dynamite. <laughs> yeah, the piano, I think, kind of added a little something to it. But That yeah. is the Japanese bonus track, Emotional Crime. What are your emotions on this song, Scott? 
Yeah, 2.5. I, I don't think it was that great. All right. Meh. Short and to the point, just like the <laughs> just like the bonus track. <laughs> All right. Well, now we're going to have to call him John number two because now he's lowering his rating. <laughs> <laughs> so John's yes. going to give it a four. <laughs> um, no, actually, I'll, I'll give it a three. Um, uh, if for, alone for the production values. Um, and that Richie solo just brought me back to classic Richie. That was what I was waiting for, for the whole album. It's like, yes, there it is. Richie yep. sounding like Richie. Um, but yeah, it was, uh, it was pretty good. Had a good groove to it. I, I enjoyed the sound. Um, but I mean, I, I can agree with Scott that it was kind of a, maybe an average or less than average kind of track. Like it didn't really stand out as a song. And when you, when you pointed out that, uh, that little, um, uh, chorus thing in the background, it was kind of cheesy. It was kind of knocking and you can't come in or whatever, the, however they said it. It's like, yeah, all right. But it's almost like they contacted Joe Lynn Turner and said, Hey, we need something to fill this background. What do you suggest? <laughs> He's like, wait, I got, I got the thing. Hang on. Let me, let me get out like my, uh, my, my, my book, of my, my, my crime for beginners book. <laughs> or that, uh, that, that scene and, uh, that scene in elf where the, the, the guy leaves his notebook of ideas behind and they're like, it's, grabbing like, oh, it. it's like a picture of a chicken. <laughs> <laughs> Let's get JLT's notebook. He left it behind. That's my, that's my favorite scene. Cause he's like, look at all these great ideas. I mean, look at this. And he holds up. It's just a picture of a chicken. <laughs> uh, all right. I will give this one a three as well. I thought it was. Yeah, I thought it was fun. I thought it was a good fun, uh, fun track. And uh, I, I enjoyed the simplicity of it and the and, and everything overall. So that's how I'm going to going to round this up. But um, so John has uh, a job to do right now, which is Ooh, to get ready to bust out that spreadsheet. But while he does that. I'm going to do my job, which is also important, and, or, or so they tell me. And that job is to, of course, go into our next group of amazing patrons who help support this show. Uh, and again, if you receive value from the show and want to give us a little value back, you can do so as well um, in a number of different ways. So um, here we go. Um, coming in at the here we are. Uh, for our core level patrons at the $7.77 Keep It Warm Rat tier, we have Michael Vader and Richard Fusey. At the $6.99 New Nice Price tier, we have Fielding Fowler. At the episode $6.66 tier, we have Steve Coldwell, Arthur Smith, and Anton Glaving. At the $6.65 Almost Evil tier, we have Kenny Wymore. At the $5.99 The Nice Price tier, Robert Smith, Peter from Illinois, Michael Bagford, Carl Helberg. At the $60, oh, I don't know if I mentioned this last time, but this Whopper has changed to a uh, Swedish kroner tier. So the $60 Swedish kroner, uh, sorry, 60 Swedish kroner tier, not dollars. <laughs> Zwopper, the electric alchemist. And at the $5 moneylender tier, John Convery, German Heindel, Adrian Hernandez, Jesper Alman, Alexi, the perfect stranger, Slepikov, James North, Mark Hodgetts, Will Porter, Kev Roberts, Percival Frequency, and Scott Zerns. Thank you so much to all of you for your support of the show. All right. So what's up? I, I, I can't find this album anywhere. Oh, my God. So t <laughs> can't, you can't find <laughs> like, it on where, the spreadsheet? No. Where the hell is it? All right. Well, let me bust it up for just one second. Now he 
so bad. I'm so happy you kept that second that. version. I gotta go back to the old one. It's too bad. The you, know what, you know what that needs, though, is a 90s breath synthesizer. That would be perfect. But am I am I crazy here? I can't. No, it's, not it's, here. it's it's because it's not in there. Um, let me let me make a little modification here. Okay, it's in there now. So if All you right. re, if you resort it, it should be good. That was actually me fumbling with the tabs this time. Ooh, hey, I, I threw okay. a monkey wrench in the tabs. I know that whole time you're talking, I'm like freaking out here because I'm like I'm not gonna be ready. Oh wait, wait, don't sort it yet. Okay, oh, oh it's it's fine. <laughs> if you find it. <laughs> Okay. Never seen so much drama in a spreadsheet before. I know. Well, there it is. That's how we do it. All right. All right. All right. All right. Okay. Um, you see it? Right. Yep. Okay. Okay. I know it did better than Warhorse. <laughs> it did considerably better, I think. All right. You got it. Yeah, well, mm, I wouldn't say I wouldn't. Say. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, I'm just gonna have a little entertainment while we wait. <laughs> I wouldn't say considerably better, but it did better. <laughs> um, so, um, yeah, I'll start with um, it's it's pretty it's pretty low on the overall rating <laughs> spreadsheet here. It's toward the bottom. Oh, it is. Oh, yeah. Sorry, I was looking at. It. <laughs> I was reading that wrong. Five point eight six. Now that's just me and Nate. Well, we'll go over the you know include um, Scott's review in there as well. Um, well, thanks. No, so, <laughs> I mean John too, or Scott one. Um, well, we start off with our reviews of it. So five point eight six. So it is. Um, yeah, I, I surprisingly gave it the lowest reviews, um, followed by Scott, followed by Nate, in terms of. Who liked it? So Scott liked it best, um, average-wise here. Um, but we're, um, oh boy, this is sandwiched between two Nick Simber pieces of work. <laughs> no, no, the other one is um, the Jolin jo Turner Fandango. Oh, okay, well, still. Um, yeah, it's, um, wow, we like strip slimy, slips. <laughs> I can't say it, slipstreaming a little bit better than mm. the, well, yeah, wow, I did. Damn. Um, hmm. And then the other Fandango, and then a bunch of Warhorse nonsense at the bottom. Um, so that's, um, oh, what a shame. But anyways, um, yeah. Well, I mean, this has so, got to be, I mean, also, like, I think, the, the you know, the, depending on the moment and the ratings changing and stuff, I think, um, I don't know. I don't remember Slipstreaming that well, but I think I would rather listen to this again right now than <laughs> put on Slipstreaming. So. Well, yeah, exactly. Um, however, let me see. This is the, um, yeah, it's the second lowest, um, combined guest rating, um, okay. um, coming at a 9.39. Um, the only one below it there is seventh star by black Sabbath mm. and, um, right above, um, bent out of shape. So we got a couple of rainbow, couple of rainbow albums there kind of, but that's the, you know, the combined overall combined ratings there. So, but yeah, overall, uh, doesn't seem like it, uh, it performed, uh, too well, but 
you know, as you said, um, I, I would probably listen to this before either one of the Fandangos that it was wedged between. <laughs> For if sure. We, if we uh, calibrated our recalibrated our ratings and did that other one, too, we might we might come up with a different result. But sure. But, um, you know, overall, I would say uh, not um, not terrible. It had some redeeming uh, qualities, uh, but uh, a lot of stuff that I think was kind of kind of rehashed. A little bit of a lackluster production, uh, maybe performance, a couple of bright spots here and there. But, you know, overall, um, you know, uh, I, I think I remember why I was a little disillusioned with it when it came out. Because if you were expecting, you know, Richie's back, you're like, well, this is like, oh, Richie's back. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so... I think I think this was an album, honestly, where he was trying to just refine himself and maybe it suffered from a, a lower budget or time pressure or definitely lack of a of a producer that understood the band. Yeah. I mean, he's a good producer, but I just feel like if Roger had produced this album, it would have been a completely different album. Oh, yeah. Yep. And this was the first time that he hadn't worked with Roger in a long time. You know, because he's been true. working with him since Down to Earth and then all the way through everything that Purple did. Um, so, I, yeah, I, I really feel like a better producer could have tightened this album up a lot, um, maybe overseen the engineering on it a little more to to give it a better a better overall sound. But uh, I, I don't think it's a bad album, but of all the Rainbow albums, it's probably the one that I go to the least, this and Difficult to Cure, to be honest. Mm -hmm. uh, Down to Earth, I, I listen to probably more than any other album I've ever owned. Um, love all the albums, but this would be probably the, the one I listen to the least. Yeah. Yep, makes, makes sense. Um, yeah. I mean, so thanks, you know, thanks for having me on for this one. <laughs> yeah, I really appreciate it. Yeah. <laughs> Anytime. Scott. There you go. See you later. Right. Here's a screwdriver for you. So um, play my solo. <laughs> I'll I'll put in the show notes. I'm not going to read the whole thing. There's a review on um uh, there's a review on uh Dark from Darker Than Blue. Um, and Jeff Bryce sent me over a copy of the one from the magazine, and this one's the, the one that's available online. But th I think this is the one that kind of broke Simon Robinson. And um, my my uh, someone had messaged in and asked about if this was uh, the reason that Jerry Bloom kind of went and started his own Richie magazine because uh, it seems like it was actually I think it was Jeff Bryce that might mentioned it. Um, at this point, it seemed like Simon Robinson had completely given up on Richie, so uh, Jerry Bloom wanted to keep that alive. And from this review, it's pretty scathing. <laughs> um, uh, much, much more severe. I think we were very generous and, and fair-minded about it. Um, so, yeah, he says a couple of, like the song Silence, his, his review is, Silence, if only... The high-pitched watch of reedy guitar synth and histrionic vocals bring the horrors of Latter-day Rainbow back to life. And then he goes on for like another paragraph. Um, uh, ch -ch -ch -ch. Uh, what else does he say? Hunting humans is a really plodding effort, almost as if they uh, slowed the whole track down, leaving it struggling against a loose uh, pudding-y bass sound. Pudding-y. That's an interesting. Sounds sounds like the bass bass is being played through pudding. Okay. Um, 
Pudding E. Pudding E. That's it's an, that's a new one for me. Black Masquerade mm-hmm. rolls out, and this is getting beyond a joke. So he goes on through all these things. I'm not going to read it word for word because I I almost feel bad reading it. <laughs> <laughs> so, but I'll put it in the show notes and a link to it. Um, it's very Jeez, interesting. I feel attacked. It's not even my album. <laughs> no, right? Um, so we did uh, – Jeff Bryce, as previously mentioned, did send in um, a few things. So we should probably um, – we should probably check that out. Merchandising. Merchandising. Come, I'll show you. Open up this door. All right, so what do we got here? We've got, um, I can find it here. Uh, we've got this here, which is the, it's the cover of the Ariel single. Um, so that's kind of interesting. Um, it's a German single, it looks like. It goes great with some. German stomach bread. Um, the back side of it, it's got Ariel radio edit, and then Ariel the full length version as the C, as the B side. Um, or it might not even be a B side; it might just be like a CD single. And this is the Temple of the King live, hmm. um, live recorded uh, live in 1995. So it would have been the new lineup doing Temple of the King. I, I will say, Ronnie or um, Doogie does a great job singing "Temple of the King" live. I've heard a couple <laughs> versions of it that were really impressive. Yeah, mm. that I that I can I can't remember if I've heard it, but I can I can believe it. So, um, this is that article that I was just reading from. Um, I'll put a link to that in the show notes. It says, uh, "And oh dear, the new Rainbow album." That's how they that's how Jeez. they <laughs> announced <laughs> it in the magazine. So, and this is a deep purple fan magazine, mind you. So like, it's like, this isn't even like Kerrang. This is a a magazine solely devoted to celebrating deep purple. So seems like a pretty apt title. So it shows you how, what the feelings were on that. And there's more of that article is a picture of uh, Richie down there. And there you go. So some interesting stuff there. Thank you, Jeff, for sending that in. And then we've got uh, the back cover of the album there. That's the Japanese version made in Japan. Um, okay. So that's kind of the, the merchandise. Not a ton of stuff from this album, but um, as it didn't just, I don't think it just really got the marketing push behind it that other albums may have gotten <clears throat> in the past. So I, I have to wonder if just the, they were hope, because at this point, you know, we still didn't really have social media at all. So maybe they were just kind of hoping that the the magazines and just the the reputation of Richie would have carried, would have been enough weight to to carry mm-hmm. the album through sales. Yeah. You know, yeah, it's very very possible. Um, okay, um, what do we got here? Is this one okay? So uh, before we wrap up this episode, uh, we want to take time to, of course, thank our foundation level patrons. Coming in at the three-pound aromatic feed tier, Simon Ford. At the $3.33 halfway to evil tier, we have Raf Calf and Spike the Rock Cat and Spike's mom, of course. At the $3 Nobody's Perfect tier, we have Peter Gardeau. Mark Roback. Uh, we've got Duncan Leesk, Stuart McCord, Flight of the Rap Bat Blue Light, Ivan Fjellboo. Ruinous inadequacies. I'm sorry. Runar Stevenson. <laughs> Wrong rune. JJ Stenard, Ruinous Inadequacies, and Mike Catan. Um, then we've got at the $1.71 cent tier, uh, Rich Ingve Shaler. 
at the 10 kroner tier, Karsten Lau. At the $1 made up name tier, the Still I'm Dead, Leaky Mausoleum. Steven Somerville, the Concerto 1999 fanatic. Hank the Tank, Private Eyes, Ashen Lionel. <laughs> Blackmore Tights. And John Maselli. <laughs> right. So I need a production assistant for this part of the show. That's the what? best Tony Maselli clip yet. What have I gotten myself I, into? I agree. <laughs> for once, he wasn't like, he wasn't going to bone her over a mop. Right. Oh, a mop. <laughs> <laughs> or cleaning supplies. It was actually like females. I love to um, clean. I, I got to tell you, I'm really enjoying this last segment now, and I don't think I'm ever going to get tired of hearing my dad hacking his way through saying <laughs> Blackmore Tights. What was happening? Why was he choking on something? I don't know. Who knows? I don't remember. No, but that was definitely the better clip. <laughs> yes. And congrats to Rich, who, who needs his own theme music, regardless of what it is. Exactly, exactly. Um, yeah, well, if you want to be accurate, you have to call it the, the Ying Wee. Rich Ying Wei. Ying Wei. That's right. Ying yes. Wee. Come on, get it right. <laughs> All right. So, Scott, where can our listeners find you if they are looking for other Scott Haskin properties out there? Oh my God, there, there's so much now. <laughs> um, in his house. Yeah, it's just I'm right here, uh, and I and I'm never leaving again. Uh, uh, yeah, so uh, basically, the hub for everything is my website at scotthaskin.com. Uh, you can find my books on Amazon on my uh, Amazon author page, and then you can find my podcast at the Haskin Cast Podcast, Uriah Heap the Magician's Podcast, which is back for two more seasons, and then uh, I'm also a co-host on Backtracks, Aerosmith Revisited with Corey Morissette and John Mariano. Fantastic. Lots of uh, Scott Haskin to uh, to put into your podcatchers. Um, and yeah, uh, we've been enjoyed having you on. Uh, we'll definitely have to have you back. I mean, again, for an episode, again, for an album review. And yeah. uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun doing these doing this two parter. And um, whether the music is, uh, you know, 100 percent our favorite or not, it's always uh, always a fun, fun time spending time together mm-hmm. and having some yeah. fun. And, uh, you know, even as we as we also say with these ratings, we're rating these on a scale of all things deep purple. So even the last item on the list is going to be some pretty good stuff. Unless um, it's Warhorse. No, Warhorse. They, <laughs> <laughs> yeah, not that one with the drum solo. <laughs> right. Well, Oof. thank you guys for having me back. It's always a great time to hang out with you. I love when you guys yeah. come on on uh, my podcast too. Uh, you guys are, are great. It's a great show. My favorite podcast. Uh, so it's Ooh. a real honor to be back. Well, that, it's a real honor for to have anybody on earth say that. So thank you. <laughs> <laughs> especially, especially you. It's like one big happy family over here. Oh, for sure. For yes. sure. It, it is Scott, great. When you're here, you're family. <laughs> <laughs> I just forgot to bring a bag of stuff and then I got to take a bag of stuff home. <laughs> yep. Exactly. And now after we sign off, we're going to do the Italian goodbye. <laughs> be here for half an hour. Yeah, probably. I'm, gonna, I'm, I'm off to the skating rink, so I might not be here for quite as long. But there you yes, go. Thank, thanks for stopping by. Thanks for listening. And uh, we'll we'll see you again next week. Thank you for listening to the Deep Purple Podcast. If you like what you hear and would like more episodes in the future, please donate on Patreon to support the show. 
You can also leave us a review in Apple Podcasts to help new people discover the show. You can follow us on YouTube, Instagram, Twitter, and Facebook for show updates. See deeppurplepodcast.com for more details. Thank you for listening. And, uh, what do you and think? I, just... I, I could go shirtless Matola for this episode. <laughs> <laughs> I'm gonna have to play that that ah uh, from Brett Michaels at the beginning of every rose has its thorn. Just that ah, uh. <laughs> a real treat for our viewers.